You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where the opening song is in honor of my esteemed guest host. I am so high, I can hear Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Ingle, and what I love doing is covering the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with the cover date November 2004, all the while putting a special emphasis on my favorite characters, Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And this time out, we're going to be taking a little look at Kyle Rayner as he moves along in the Power of Ion storyline. This time out, we're covering Green Lantern number 149, Hand of God, Day 4, where Cal meets up with the JLA and, well, kind of uh, has a little falling out with a certain Man of Steel. You can see on the uh, cover of the book, uh, which I probably have posted at the website, that uh, Kyle and Cal don't look like they're getting along. Plus, we're also going to be taking a look at another book, the final book of the Secret Files and Origin stories for, well, not the final book, because there's one that comes out when the Jeff Johns run comes out. But since I'm not going to be covering that, this is going to be it. It's Green Lantern's Secret Files and Origins number three. And it's basically like the other Secret Files and Origins with various different stories and sort of who's who pins. But I am very fortunate today to have along with me a person who knows something about Superman. You may know him from the podcast Superman and Batman, or possibly from the podcast Parallel Lines, a DC Universe Tangent, po- Tangent Universe podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege and pleasure to welcome back to the show, Mr. Michael Bradley. Hey, Michael. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming on. You know, I, I know uh, I planned on having you back on the show, and I figured Superman in Green Lantern comic, and this was a pretty iconic uh, cover that I, that I checked out, and I thought... Well, this would be a good idea to have you on as, uh, as a guest host, so I'm glad to have you here. Plus, you really want to keep those pictures hidden. Oh, yeah. Um, we should talk about that. Oh, okay. I'll uh, oh, yeah. Um, I'll play some podcast promos, and uh, <laughs> we can work out negotiations of where I can leave the payment for, for all of that. Sounds good. Okay, so after these promos, and obviously some uh, emailing of uh, money to or credit card information to Michael... We'll be getting into coverage of Green Lantern number 149. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked and young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up. Up and away. Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. 
Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. All right, and we're back. So we're going to go ahead and forego email again. Thanks, everyone, for writing in. I do appreciate it. If you'd like to write in, the email address is just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. But for now, we're going to go ahead and start off with our coverage of Green Lantern number 149. This one was cover dated June 2002 and released on April 3rd, 2002, with a cover price of 225 US and 375 in Canada. The title was Hand of God, Day 4. The writer was Judd Winnick, penciler was Dale Eaglesham, inker was Rodney Ramos, letter was Kurt Hathaway, colorist Moose Bowman, assistant editor Nachi Castro, and the editor was Bob Schreck. Absolutely, the one person in the entire world that you don't want to annoy would have to be the last son of Krypton, Superman. However, Kyle Rayner, now the immeasurably powerful Ion, doesn't seem to be too concerned as he sits in the JLA meeting chamber in the moon-based watchtower. The League is assembled to discuss new carpeting or something like that when the Martian Manhunter discovers a spatial anomaly forming near Earth. Suddenly, an armada of crystal invaders of Kryala or Karalix pop out of cloak, and the League springs into action to mount a defense of Earth. But Ion tells the heroes not to worry, that he's got this. In fact, even before the team could determine what the anomaly was, Ion had intercepted the fleet, let them take a few pot shots at him, then banished them back to whence they came, or into the cornfield. Makes no difference. Crisis averted, Cowell asks if they can check out the Space Ikea catalog to see how they'll be revamping the Watchtower. This is where the Man of Steel calls Kyle away from the group for a little heart-to-heart conversation. Cal says that he's amazed with all the feats that Ion is doing, and Kyle says that he's humbled that Superman approves of his actions. However, Superman says that that's where he's wrong. He doesn't approve, and he thinks that Ion is overstepping his bounds. Kyle asks for clarification, and Cal says that the heroes always need to strike a balance between protecting the people and becoming too great a force in their lives. He says that they are here to help protect the people of Earth, to allow them to keep on living, but not to do the living for them. When you take away the need for humanity to help themselves, they aren't living. They're being kept. Cal also says that that kind of admiration can lead to worship, and faith in a higher being is one thing, but faith in a higher being living among living people is another. To make his point, Superman Googles Church of Ion and finds over 50 websites that have popped up over the past few days and that's only in the U.S. Concerned by the news, Kyle heads back down to Earth and watches the New York Fire Department rescuing a family from a burning building. As an explosion goes off near a cherry picker, Kyle prepares to spring into action, but realizes that the firemen have the situation well in hand. Later that night, Kyle is sitting on the steps to his apartment, talking to Alan Scott about what Superman said earlier in the day. Kyle knows he's going about this the wrong way, and he asks Alan for some guidance. Alan says it was easier when he could just take the ring off and walk away, but now that with the power inside him, it's a much different story. Alan asks if Kyle misses being Green Lantern, and Kyle admits it was much simpler when he was. Getting up, Kyle thanks Alan for the advice, but now he's thinking that he needs to talk to someone important in his life, but someone he's never really met. His father. Okay, there we go. Green Lantern number 149. Uh, Michael, do you have any notes or any specific things you want to talk about on this one? Um, I don't really have any, like, overall notes. My my notes aren't really so much page by page. as I kind of did, like, general notes per section of the story. Okay. So. I'll, well, I'll go ahead and give my overview. I, okay. thought, I, I thought this was a great story uh, where Winnick, I thought, actually did a good job not only writing Green Lantern, but writing Superman. And I think... A lot of the dialogue that Winnick put in, that that Winnick allowed Superman to uh, exposit, was exactly the way I feel Superman should be. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think Kyle's also starting to realize that all this altruism is having a negative effect on society, and you kind of have to wonder what's going to go on in his head with all this. And and I, I guess finally, I thought Eagle Sham's art was it was really spectacular. Over the course of the series, since Eagle Sham came onto the book, his art has been hit or miss. In this book, I think it really shines, and there's some great pieces in here. So yes, uh, it's it's. It's a shame there wasn't more action in the story for, for Eagle Sham to, to do action because it's, it's a lot of talking, but uh, I really like the art in it too. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of art, like I said, the cover was the thing that uh, really caught my eye. I mean, Eagle, uh, this isn't Eagle Sham doing the cover. This is um, um, Brandon Bordeaux, mm-hmm. and he did uh, the interior art for the last Green Lantern issue, and... His artwork is a bit more stylized. It's it brings me back a little bit more to the sort of Bo Smith era Guy Gardner, where physicality it's got that sort of overemphasized nineties physicality, but not to the sort of life fieldian extent. It doesn't look ridiculous. I mean, they both look pretty powerful here, and I like the fact that you know that's the, the, that you've got these two titans now sort of staring each other down. I like the yes. cover. Yeah, the cover leads you to think that the the confrontation between them is much more heated than it is. I think, but it's it's a decent cover, even though I'm not particularly a fan um, of Brandon Badeau. He a lot of that's on me. He did a couple issues of Superman around this time that just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. So mm-hmm. it's I, I'm I'm carrying the impression from that over to other work he's done, which I know is a bad thing, but. Well, that, that, that's no problem. I understand. You know, first impressions on on artists can often, you know, uh, sit with people sometimes either negatively or positively. And you know, some people will overlook you know bad art from a good artist if the first thing that they encountered for this artist was something that really grabbed a hold of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, not knowing Bado from anything other than these issues, I like it. I kind of Superman's look. Now, I, I I haven't seen much of Superman's look in the 2000s, but I'm kind of I'm kind of seeing the image somewhat like Ed McGinnis. Is that sort of? That, yeah, like, there's a lot of inspiration from that. Yeah, with the big S and the the really kind of the the bulky uh, cartoony muscles and stuff. Yeah. Now, uh, one thing we've got here: Superman's S. The symbol has changed. The it's no longer what the yellow inside of it; it's the black mm-hmm. inside of it. Uh, is there anything that uh, that occurred because of that, or do you remember why the change happened with that? They did a storyline called Our Worlds at War, which was a big, epic. I, I suppose by today's standards, it's, it's a minor blip on the radar, but it was for 2002 or 2001. It was a pretty big storyline, and then at the end of that storyline, Superman changed his S shield to be black inside as a way of uh, showing mourning for the people that died during that event, because there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, civilian casualties and, and some superhero casualties as well. So it was just a short-lived thing. Okay. Well, that makes and sense. And it, it was really interesting because that storyline came to a close around the time of 9-11. Oh. So after 9-11, then you have Superman, you know, changing his shield to be black and mourning, and it was it was – Completely coincidental because they had it planned before, obviously the the attacks in New York and and Washington. But but that it it also had some symbology to what right. was going on yeah. in, in in the real world. So that's yeah. you know kind of a sad yet you know interesting coincidence. Uh, moving into the book, like I said, uh, that first that page one. That's that, a great shot of Superman. That is that is great. He he looks imposing. I like. The only negative thing is. It looks like his cape. His cape doesn't seem like it's actually part of it. His cape seems to see through. It doesn't seem like it's mm-hmm. actually fabric. It doesn't like seem... it's kind of like it's wet and like clinging to his. Yeah, it looks. That's yeah. that's a good example. You know, it's but uh, otherwise the the look of his face and the sort of concern that he's showing. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows something's different going on with Kyle, and obviously Kyle does as well. But it's a, a that's that's a great image. Of the character of, yeah. um, moving on to page two. Uh, when I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I was talking with Chad Bolkman on the show, mm-hmm. he mentioned that uh, the sort of stoic pose that uh, Kyle seems to always be in 
is sort of mimicked by the way Sinestro holds himself. And uh, the way that Kyle is doing all these things without really using the the sort of moves that you see in Green Lantern, like using the fist to punch things or anything like that, where he's just sort of standing there or holding his hands together or with his arm crossed or something, has the visual stylings of what you would imagine Sinestro to be doing that when he was doing a certain thing. So it kind of concerns me on a story level that you see these visuals that remind you of Sinestro in a character who's supposed to be one of the good guys. I didn't really pick up on that, but there you're right. I mean, there's a little um, arrogance or just kind of a, a coldness to it that, that mm-hmm. I, I didn't catch. Yeah. Um, let's see, where's my next note? On page five, uh, they mention in page five, the panel two, the uh, Plastic Man mentions the uh, Martian invasion. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that's the uh, Martian invasion that ha- happened in the early run in the Morrison League. I'm not certain if those Martians came back because I think I finished up, I stopped collecting the JLA right as Morrison left. So I'm not certain if the Martians ever appeared again in the run or if this is just the initial appearance of the uh, Martians that uh, Plastic Man's talking about here. Oh, oh, the, we just, uh, where he says something about we just went through a Martian invasion last week or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I didn't know if that was a specific reference to something or just a, you know, just plastic, plastic man, man being, being a, yeah. a doof. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, One thing that I was on this, this opening sequence here with the JLA and in the watchtower, when I picked up this book, I was a little wary because I, I wasn't, I'm not real familiar with this era of green lantern. Like you, I haven't read a lot of it. And when I saw this was ostensibly part four of a story, I was a little concerned, but at, as it turned out, I, I really wasn't too lost at all. Um, I didn't know um, how Kyle got these powers, and I do now because I've heard your coverage of it, but when I first read it, I didn't know. But I thought Winnick did a good job in these opening pages of, of you know, making that question one that didn't need answering. You know, he, he, he gives us Kyle's mindset, and he shows us, as we're going to get to here in the next page or two, he shows us just how powerful Kyle is, and we see that the rest of the league is kind of uneasy about that. So I guess you could kind of take that as Kyle's perception of how he thinks they feel, but you know, depending on how you want to read it. But yeah, well, I, I, I oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I was really pleasantly surprised at just how enjoyable this was to a, a relative newcomer, despite being the middle of a big storyline. Yeah, it, it is. It does say that it's part four of a story, and really, <clears throat> it could be a standalone because simply enough is given to you to let you know what's happened to Kyle. Mm-hmm. But if you've read the prior things that have happened, if you read the prior issues and you know how this all occurred, it just it adds to it. But basically, just know that Green Lantern is suddenly more powerful and he can do different things. And it's kind of raised concern for the uh, other member the other heroes of the DC universe. In fact, in the previous issue, which unfortunately hasn't dropped yet in the uh, feed, um, <clears throat> we have a little interlude where Superman is watching Kyle doing some of his, um, you know, humanitarian efforts uh, across the globe, and he's sitting there, well, he's sitting there as Clark in his home watching this on the news, and he's got that kind of concerned look on his face. So mm. prior to this, you know, there has been a buildup that perhaps the superhero community isn't quite comfortable with what Kyle is doing. Here. Page nine, again. You know, Kyle's blasé attitude here is really what I think it's what is the impetus that uh, to get Superman to call him aside and have the conversation that happens throughout the rest of this book here. And again, we see that just him sitting there with his hands folded together, not doing anything, telling them everything that he's done without even having to move and when these characters know how Green Lantern actually works and how he, prior to this, how he did things, mm-hmm. to hear that he's doing these things, this invasion that the League felt that they'd have to completely mobilize and call up, you know, alternate League members and all this stuff to find out that Kyle has handled it <laughs> without even having to lift a finger yeah. has got to raise some concerns. So I'm glad that in the next part of this book, Superman comes in and decides to have his talk with him. Yeah. And really, the conversation is one that could only come from Superman. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wonder Woman 
maybe could do it, possibly John, but it, it really had to be Superman because it would have been a much different conversation coming from Batman. Oh, yes. I, I, I don't think Batman could have delivered it in a way that would have affected Kyle and let Kyle realize. Because uh, technically, on a power level, Superman is the only person who could really relate to Kyle in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, Batman... Batman is, you know, I hate to say it, Batman's a great character, but he's not, he's not a person who I think can give advice well. He's, <laughs> you know, he, he's putting he, it nicely, yes. Well, he's, he's a person who will scare the living bejesus out of you. Right. He's not he's, a person who's going to take you in and, and try and help you understand the situation of what's going on. He's the bad cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an apt description. And uh, my notes for this are just kind of general and... I uh, personally on these pages where Kyle and Superman have a conversation, I think it's probably some of the best writing that I've seen in a while for the character of Superman, how he's defining what the hero's purpose is, you know, how we help people, but we don't try and manipulate what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is how Kyle is sort of overstepping his bounds. And I'm, I'm glad that Kyle takes it in the right way and doesn't think that Superman's overstepping or trying to limit him from doing stuff that he's just concerned that, that as heroes, they can't, they can't keep the people. They can't try and direct their lives. They have to let them live their own lives and help them out in any way that they can. So this is just some great writing here. Yeah. Well, Superman, I think knows what it's like to have to look at yourself and, and what you're doing and judge how far is too far. You know, he knows, what it's like to deal with that kind of unlimited power. And I, I really like the way that Superman presented presented it to Kyle. He wasn't accusatory or, or pointing fingers. He was just talking straight and in a way that's both kind and respectful, but showing concern as well. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly fatherly as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Superman hasn't had a chance to be a father necessarily. Well, unless you count, you know, Silver Age alternative or silver and bronze age alternative stories with Bob Haney. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it's him giving the kind of advice that you would think Pa Kent would have given to him. Yes. And it's, it's, I'm glad that, you know, he's, it, 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 it again springs forth from the idea that, that Clark Kent's upbringing on earth was what made him this great hero. And now he's getting to pass on that, that upbringing to someone who, necessarily didn't have a father so right. it's interesting at the end of the book kyle is going to search down his father which is which we'll get to in a while mm-hmm. um but you you also get the feeling that there's a respect from superman to kyle as a colleague because superman has never treated kyle as uh like a pretender to the throne or someone who's just a kid you know he he's always treated him as the Green Lantern, you know. Mm-hmm. So there, so while there is that fatherly type of approach, there, there's also, you know, the the respect of, of equals. Yes, really even liked. even even from the beginning, even from their first meeting uh, back in like Green Lantern number fifty-two, you know, Superman realized that he was Green Lantern, right. even though he was different, and he didn't consider him to be a junior Green Lantern or the secondary Green Lantern. Kid Lantern. Yes. So uh, yeah, there, there's always been a level of respect between the two characters, which is which is nice. Um, the pages, the sequence where Kyle is watching the firefighters, that's that's eerily prescient, obviously, since uh, this occurred after 9/11, and I'm certain mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, books who want to pay respect to the firefighters of New York and all that they did. You know, not not only during 9/11, trying to save lives, but how they try and save lives every day. So these few silent panels as Kyle watches the firefighters do their job was just, I think, a nice homage, but also a nice way to get Kyle introspectively realizing how Superman was right, how how the people of Earth can handle themselves and don't necessarily need Kyle as a hero to help them out with everything. Right. So, um, and, uh, you know, the... And this, I mean, this is, this isn't new territory for DC heroes, but I think it's one that you can explore with a lot of different characters mm-hmm. and, and, and it never really gets uh, tiresome. 
No, no, I agree. Um, my final notes are in the on the last uh, pages, like 17 through 20, where it's just more Kyle and Alan having a chat. Mm-hmm. And um, I I'd always liked how uh, Mars had uh had basically written the Green Lantern family of like Guy and Alan and John and Kyle as a sort of you know extended family and how they would uh, help each other through uh, difficult times and especially how these older landers would kind of be there for Kyle to, for him to just to be also sort of father figures for him. And uh, it's just a a good bit of dialogue here in the book. Yeah. I I think I mentioned last time I was on the show that I really like the legacy aspect of these characters. And I like when they can get Kyle and Alan together and, and that Kyle sees Alan as, Maybe not really a father figure, but definitely a, a mentor type figure. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue here on these pages, it, it feels really natural. Oh, yeah. Just like yeah. two people having a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the things that Winnick has gotten down really well is he's he's gotten the conversational aspect. Even if even if he turns it into a more, I want to say a more generational era, it, it, it feels more of uh, the 2000s rather than the sort of comic book. He puts in a lot more hip and trendy phraseology, for lack of a better word, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel unnatural other than that. It just right. feels of its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the final bit is, you know, we see Kyle is going to go out and try and find his father, which uh, I guess that should be interesting, specifically yeah. since, you know, he's never really had an encounter with him except you know, a, a false encounter supposedly back in the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow era. So this this should be interesting. It's all leading up to issue 150, which again I'm waiting on reading until until I get ready to write the notes for it. So I haven't written them yet, but I'm looking forward to this. It, 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 this was a good issue that makes me want to read the next one. Yes, same here. Okay. Um, do you have, do you have the paper copy or do you have the digital copy? I have the digital. Okay. Well, I will skip going through ads. I'm looking through here. There's really nothing all that interesting ad for Tang. Oh, there's an ad for the (laughs) Scorpion King movie. Uh, That's, oh yeah. Goody. No, uh, more tobacco is wacko unless you're a teen. Right. There's, uh, unless you're a teen. Yeah. Well, no, (laughs) No, you don't. Yeah, tobacco is good if you're a teen. Um, there's an ad for Best Buy, which has VHS copies of Clueless, Ferris, Day Bu- Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Grease, Top Gun, Save the Last Dance, and Tommy Boy, which are all uh, great movies that no one should own. Um, What's wrong with Tommy Boy? Oh, uh, don't get me started. <laughs> um, an advertisement for Gauntlet Dark Legacy for the PlayStation 2 and the GameCube. Oh, and the Xbox as well, which is, I think, the uh, 3D version of the uh, Gauntlet top-down game. There's an ad for a Scorpion Keem video game, which you play on the Game Boy Advance, whatever. Um, Dungeons, Dungeon Siege, bunch of video games in here. An advertisement for a Green Lantern Legacy, The Last Will and Testament of Hal Jordan, which I which I covered last issue. and uh, Oh. Yeah, that was, uh. I mean, yes. I'm yeah, well that aware was, of that episode, yeah. which I just listened to. Yeah, that, that episode, yeah. Um, that was something. It was, uh, basically, it was basically the story of Tom Kalmaku having to take care of Hal Jordan's illegitimate son. Yeah, it was okay. that interesting. Hmm. <laughs> uh, here's a cool one. There's an advertisement for Freedom Force, which was, um, sort of a top-down video game. I never played the full game, but basically you got to make your own version of the characters. It's mm-hmm. very uh, in the style of Jack Kirby, the artwork. It's, yeah, I, I, remember I, I never played it, but I remember seeing the uh, the, uh, the video game in stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, advertisement for uh, some Batman DVDs, uh, Batman Sub-Zero, Batman Superman movie, and Batman The Legend Begins. I guess the first, uh, maybe the first couple of uh, episodes of the Batman animated series. Same thing for the Justice League DVD premiere movie. An advertisement for Pac-Man World 2 that has a bald guy painting his head yellow. So I remember that ad. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, advertisement for, I guess, Mobile Suit Gundam models. So that's kind of interesting. The guy in the Pac-Man ad kind of looks like Brian Michael Bendis. I, yeah, he kind of does. 
creepy. I wonder if Brian would spend this. An advertisement on the back inside cover of Westfield Comics. Westfield Comics is now known for having the uh, Bo Smith uh, articles in there. So that's that's a reason to check them out. And the back outside cover is Crash Bandicoot doing the hula dance with uh, Hawaiian girls. Gosh, I remember that ad too. Jeez, I'm it's, sorry. It's scary how well I remember these ads. That's, that's yeah, the, I don't remember these games, but yeah, I'm sorry that you remember these ads. I've well, read a lot of comic books in my life, Sean. There you go. All right, well, if you are good with this, I say we take another break, and when we come back after the break, we'll look at our second book today, Green Lantern Secret Files and Origins. Sound good? Awesome. All right. Hey, kids. Do you like comics? Uh-huh. Do you like Iron Man comics? Uh-huh. Do you want to learn more about Iron Man's downward spiral from alcoholism, fear of commitment, and feelings of inferiority leading the egomaniac into a life of misery? Uh, what? Then listen to the Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition and see Tony Stark go from genius billionaire playboy philanthropist to genius billionaire playboy philanthropist with awesome weaponized armor. Relive classic stories like Demon in a Bottle, Armor Wars, Doom Quest, and more. Hosted by me, Mike Staley. So how about it, kids? Do you want to listen to the Invincible Iron Cast? Uh-huh. Well, too bad. You need to do your homework. Uh-huh. The Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition. On iTunes or at invincibleironcast.podbean.com. Tangent. An abrupt change of course. Tangent. To go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent. A comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to action dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing. The chemicals yeah. <sighs> I'm breaking in Shaping up Then checking out On the prison bus This is it The apocalypse Whoa I'm waking up I did it in my Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. And we are back. And we're here to take a look at Green Lantern, Secret Files, and Origins number three. This one was dated July 2002 and released on May 29th of 2002 with a cover price of $4.95 US and $8.25 Canada. The cover art was by Jim Lee with Alex Sinclair doing colors and separations, and all the interior colors were by Tom McGraw with interior separations by Digital Chameleon. Like I said again, the cover art was by Jim Lee, and the Green Lantern logo was designed by Ken Lopez. The first story in here was entitled Hard Loving Heroes and was written by Ben Rabe, uh-oh, with pencil... <laughs> I've, just heard, I've just heard bad things about Ben Rabe. I'm, you know, Thomas DJ has warned me. Well, not to spoil ahead, but if this... Story you're about to synopsize is a, is a sampling. Mm. Maybe maybe you've heard correct things. Mm. Pencils were by Jamal Igel, inks were by Dan Davis, and letters were by Kurt Hathaway. And the story goes thusly: In downtown New York, newly attired Green Lantern Kyle Rayner takes on Mazinger or Radine or Dengard Ace or Combatra. Hell, I don't know. One of those Shogun warriors. <laughs> Luke, Jack, and Eddie'd be able to tell me who it was. Anyhow, the menacing mecha slams Green Lantern into the studios of Total Request Live Recording, unfortunately not killing Carson Daly. Realizing that the fight might take a little longer than he expected, Kyle ringdials his girlfriend, Jenny Lynn Hayden, and asks if she can mail out some art pages for an independent job that he has. 
telling Kyle that special quote-unquote compensation for her time is in order, Janie acquiesces and heads to his art desk to get the pages. Unfortunately, she also finds a small jewelry box with an engagement ring inside. Later that day, Jenny is showing off the ring to Marin, who's thrilled that Kyle is going to pop the question on Jenny. Unfortunately, Jenny said that Kyle isn't the marrying type, and this ring was meant for Kyle's dead ex-girlfriend, Alex DeWitt. This brings up a discussion between the ladies about relationships between heroes, including Jen's father, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John, and Kyle. And as almost on cue, Kyle Rayner crashes down next to Radu's coffee shop. Streaking into action, Jenny joins the fight but gets knocked into the Hudson for her trouble. Kyle is there to catch her with a ring construct catcher's mitt, but Jenny is not too happy with the save, wondering if Kyle is still thinking of Alex. Heading back to the Asian automaton, Jenny focuses her powers on the Biotron wannabe and blows it up real good. Crisis averted, Green Lantern meets with Jenny to find out just what the heck is going on, but Jenny flies off in a huff, leaving an angered Marin and Radu shoving the art delivery back into Kyle's hands. Later that night, Kyle returns to the apartment and questions Jen about what he's done wrong. Frustrated, Jen puts the ring box in front of him and tells him about her feelings, how she feels that she'll never be able to live up to the memory of Alex. Kyle tells her that she never will be Kyle tells her that she never will be able to, but he doesn't want her to. He's living the life he's always wanted to and he wants to have Jenny as a part of it. And with that, we cut away as what probably happens after this could not be depicted in a Code of Brew book. The end. Okay. I'm sorry, man. This was a dog of a story. <laughs> uh, I wasn't too impressed with it. I- I'm... The artwork in it was fine. I like Jamal Art. I oh, yeah. Artwork. The art's fantastic. Uh, obviously, we get in the introduction of... Kyle's new uniform, which I guess will be coming next issue. One of the reasons I'm covering this issue now, uh, specifically, was because I was going to dedicate a lot of effort to 150, and plus I've got uh, a special guest coming on for issue 150 who demanded that she come on for the episode, or she beat me up, so I'm <laughs> not going to have that happen. But um, And plus also, this issue also deals with it also deals with a we've got one of those who's who entries that that comes in the book that I had to sort of deal with as well. So yeah, I'm not too impressed with the story. I mean, she she's just being completely and Jenny is just being completely unreasonable throughout the entire story. And I understand that it's tough when your significant other is still still has feelings for a former flame, but Alex and Kyle didn't break up. Alex was murdered, stuffed in a refrigerator, and left as a surprise for Kyle to find. Mm-hmm. So I think that gives him a pass on keeping the ring. Yeah, and it's never – Kyle has never really said that he's had anything but feelings for Jenny. He has never right. once you know, misspoken her name or said, oh, I love you, Alex, or anything like that. So I don't get where this insecurity is coming from. It feels really out of place, and it feels like just sort of a reason to recap the love lives of all the Green Lanterns. You know, not that I mind that. I mean, it's interesting to see the the various little interludes with the different characters. But Jenny's through line through all of this is just out of place. Mm-hmm. And And worse, the entire situation that she's been fretting and complaining about for 20 pages is smoothed over by basically like two dialogue boxes from Kyle mm-hmm. at the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. The, it does kind of leave some concern for me that Ben, Ben Ray might not be the best writer of Green Lantern. So, so far the two stories that I've had written from him, have not been very good, so it's it's not looking for mm-hmm. up for uh, Ben Raven. This, um, how many how many issues was he on for? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I know after Winnick leaves around one sixty or something, he's there almost till the end, until about one seventy five, where. Okay, so um, about where uh, Ron Mars comes back. About a year and a half then. So yeah, um, so and a lot of that supposedly, I know Michael Bailey's talked about this, and he says that he was kind of 
cold on the book when Kyle went off into space. So, mm. yeah, again, it doesn't speak highly of it. Um, I'm trying to see if I have any specific notes. Aside from the artwork, I really don't have any all that much to say about it. I mean, Jen looks good. The facial expressions look good. The action sequences look good. Yeah. This this TRL spoof had to be cringeworthy even in 2002. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I never followed TRL, and I don't know how yeah, big I, Carson I, Daly was. But yeah, this just seems like something that's that's very set in its time. It would be you know, it's it's essentially like you know, in the 80s, seeing an Arnold Schwarzenegger billboard or something. You know, just <laughs> well, if I remember right, I think. TRL ended around this time. Hmm. I could so, be wrong. So this but... could be just completely outdated. Yeah. You know, that that wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, them striking when the uh, iron is cold. Uh, uh, yeah. When... Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. You know, I don't. I, I really don't have anything now that you just that we are kind of in agreement that it's not really all that good a story. Just nice art. There's really not that much to talk about. Yeah. One thing I did kind of find funny when they're recapping the the various relationships is that they leave out a lot of relationships. They leave out that Alan Scott married another villain, the Harlequin. It doesn't talk at all about the creepy relationship between Hal and Aresia. It doesn't talk about Guy's relationship with Ice. And John and Hal have had other relationships as well that, that are glossed over. So I think there is a story there about why – the Green Lanterns go through so many relationships and the effect that has on their lives and, and their current relationships. But I, this particular story just was a very wrong-headed way to go about it. Yeah, I think they could have easily approached the relationships that the Green Lanterns go through in a much better way than having to have Jenny get all, all PO'd over the fact that Kyle hasn't gotten rid of the engagement ring that was that he was supposed to give to his murdered girlfriend. So, right. yeah. <sighs> you want to move on? I am ready to move on. Okay, and let me get to. Do you want me to just take it from there with the profile, or? Okay, yeah, we can go to the uh, profile next. Okay, so the next thing in the book is a is a these secret files and origins, as I, I'm sure Sean has talked about when he's covered the other two issues. They have like one page. Uh, dossier files of various characters. And the first one is for the man himself, Kyle Rayner. And uh, the art is by – all the profiles in this book are written by Scott Beatty. And the art for this particular one is by Dale Eaglesham and Rodney Ramos. And it's just a um, a pretty quick profile. It's, it's limited to what Sean's covered in the past few episodes, including how Kyle uh, drained the power of Ion and then again became Green Lantern. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's – a lot of these pages I like because if you've been listening to Robin Shag over on the Fire and Water podcast, every like once a month they do a Who's Who podcast, and these are sort of kind of like Who's Who updates specifically for the Greenlander book, and it's got mm-hmm. the same sort of stylistic thing with the with the character in the background and then some artistic designs in the back, and or some the character in the foreground and some artistic design in the background. It's not necessarily the same style where you'd see the character without his mask and do this but it's kyle floating around his ion in the background it's not a bad image um kind of looks like he's rubbing his belly (laughs) yeah maybe he just had a good meal and he's uh, (laughs) ready to burp up an empanada sorry that's awful um after that we get the next story which is called uh, single point of failure which was written by Dan Curtis Johnson with pencils by Greg Scott and inks by Mick Gray. Comicraft did the letters, Tom McGraw did the colors, and Digital Chameleon, Digital Chameleon did the separations. And it mentions here that Chase was created by Dan Curtis Johnson and J.H. Williams III. And this story goes like this. On a Central Park bench, a lone figure is approached by a trench-coated band and offered an extra cup of coffee. The figure says to drop the pretenses and get to the real reason he's here, sale of information about the Green Lantern and his ring. The man in the trench coat says that's just what he wanted to hear as he reveals the meeting was a sting operation and prepares to take the figure into custody. 
However, the figure reveals that he is Green Lantern and wonders why this group is so interested in info about him. Agent Stax says that's on a need-to-know basis, as he tells Green Lantern he's lucky he didn't screw up their case on finding these people selling stolen info. Later, Agent Stack and Chase are meeting with their boss, an animated skeleton in a business suit, telling him about the Green Lantern uh, situation. Administrator Scully, see, you can see what it is because it's heads the skull. Never mind. <laughs> Anyhow, Scully tells the agents to drop the investigation of Green Lantern and focus on a mole in the organization. After the duo leave the room, Scully is met by Sentinel and Jade, who tells Scully that it was a good idea to back off on the Green Lantern issue. Do, do you know what the hell this story was about? What do you mean? Yeah. You think it's referencing something? Or? Well, no. Why Why this was here. I know I know well, it has relationship to the characters of Chase, who I guess is sort of sort of an X-Files type character that came up in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. I know Thomas DJ has talked about uh, the uh, Chase series that went on during that time, but I have no idea what's supposed to be going on here, why this is happening, who these, who, who this business suit skull person is. <laughs> it's, it's Mr. Bones. Oh, okay. That's his name. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of <laughs> like this. I mean, I haven't read the Chase series, but it's something I want to track down at some point. And I, I like that it, a lot of the secret files from around this time had stories featuring uh, this guy or, or Cameron Chase and, and they're just short little vignettes, and I, I like that they explore a side of the DCU that, that doesn't really get explored too much. Okay. Well, see, I've, I've had the Chase series recommended to me, like I said, by Tom DJ, and I'm interested to read it, but I have no idea who these characters were mm. and why Sentinel and Jade would be telling this skull-headed guy, Mr. Bones, I guess to lay off the Green Lantern situation. Well, I think... And I haven't read Chase, as I just said. I haven't read it. But I think this guy is a former Infinity Inc. character. Hmm. Okay. Well, so... See, again, my uh, knowledge of Infinity Inc. is that limited as well, so... Right. As is mine. You know, it was... The art was okay. It was a... unique story but I don't know you know since I don't know exactly what's going on with this since you said that this was kind of part of what a lot of the secret files and origin story were doing at this time maybe there was kind of a mandate for all the secret files and origins of around this era to have these characters sort of investigating the heroes so. could be and I kind of like the idea that even though we know it's not true as readers we know that the ring doesn't corrupt the bear. I can see how this group might come to that theory, given what they know. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of them looking into that and exploring that and being all paranoid about it. So. Yeah. Um, but following up with that is another profile. This one is of Jade with art by Jim Silk. And it tells how Jade is a heartless shrew who just can't get over her boyfriend's former girlfriend who was murdered and stuffed into a kitchen appliance. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's actually a pretty condensed history telling how she used to be a member of Infinity Inc. and a Green Lantern, but how she recently had her uh, natural uh, internal powers restored thanks to Kyle. Yeah, Yeah, that happened a couple of issues ago Um, back in the Green Lantern books. Kyle, with his ion power, basically said, look, I can give you the... uh, give you your natural power, natural abilities back. You won't have to use the Green Lantern ring. And uh, she did it, and they flew off and probably had, you know, like, space whoopee or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a bit vague of a profile, but it, it you know, it, she does have a very dense history. So mm-hmm. it hits the high points and how it relates to Kyle, and it, that's what it's supposed to do. Well, and the fact that the the history or the dialogue, the text box is only like one third of the page, mm-hmm. and the the majority of the page is taken up by this sort of well, not really pin up, well, kind of pin up shot of Jade sticking her butt out in like a middle of a door jam or something. I mean, 
it's decent art. It's not anything stunning. I th- I thought the stuff that Jamal Eichel did with her in the in the original story where she was being really bitchy was was better, but it's it's a decent issue. It's a decent entry. Right. Uh the next one we've got on the next page is this is really kind of nice. It's a it's a just a sort of page of Alan Scott drawn by original artist Martin Nodell. Mm-hmm. Now, Nodell was getting on in years. I'm certain this was probably... He was, he was in his 80s by this point, his uh, late 80s. I, I don't know how long... You know, I'm, I'm certain this was, this was probably near, because I don't know how when he passed away. I want to say 2004, but I could be wrong. Mm. But, you know, the artwork, it, it's very evocative of the of the Golden Age Green Lantern. It's... It feels kind of bad. I don't mean to knock it. I've seen some of the Golden Age stuff where Nodell has drawn the original Green Lantern, and it looks a little better. I think it's it's, it's really rough. Yeah, it's but... not his best work, but it is. It's really nice that they got Nodell to come in and do this artwork here. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just bless him for being eighty some years old and still being able to put pen to, pencil to paper and draw. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, unfortunately, Alan's body looks a little. Uh, his his torso looks a little short, and his his right arm looks a little too muscular. But but the the images in the background of the face and the Chinese guy, I guess that may be the person who gave him the lantern. I'm not exactly certain, but you know, it's it's decent artwork from a person who's probably a bit past his time. Mm-hmm. But it was, like I said, it was nice at least that they they gave him an opportunity to come in and do the story or do the artwork here. Definitely. And and to be super nerdy and paraphrase Yoda, you know, when 900 years old you be, look as good you will not. <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, the, next, the next thing in here in the book is... Mm, isn't that... Is the... Uh, Cartoon City Dwellers by Kyle Rayner, which should have appeared in Feast Magazine. This one was written by Jed Winnick with art by Philip Bond and letters by Tom Orzakowski. And essentially the synopsis for it is hipsters from the real world buy a pony for their apartment. A three-bedroom, six-story walk-up in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah, there's... If this is how Kyle Rayner draws, maybe that's why he's not getting art, <laughs> getting work. Yeah, that could be because. The, and you this, can you can edit that out. No, I, I'm not going to edit that out. This, it's very stylized, cartoony art. The characters are very much what I would expect. You know, Judd Winnick to write about. They're very. They're all a bunch of hipster, young. 2001 generation whatever Z kids doing goofy stuff. I mean, it's it's just a two-page little thing and it could yeah. be worse, but it just it, it doesn't it doesn't really make me interested in seeing any more of it. No. I like the idea of these meta things, but this one just didn't do anything for me. No, I agree. Uh, you know, if if they, you know, I, I like the fact that Kyle has a job and that his job gets referenced in the book. But if this is what he's doing technically in the book, I'm fine if it only just gets referenced and we don't ever have to see it again. Right. Same here. Um, the next profile is on Terry Berg, which is a kind of uncomfortable picture of a 16-year-old boy shirtless looking in the mirror. Yeah, is he popping zits in the um, picture, or I I only assume so. He's look, you know, it doesn't look like he's shaven. That it doesn't look like he's been shaving, but that could be it as well. But yeah, it looks like he might be popping zits. Yeah, um, it, it's uncomfortable in a way that you know it's just a young boy in a shirt. Plus, you know, the idea that now he's come out as homosexual. You know, I don't know whether it's, it's not supposed to be titillating in any way, but it's just a no. weird. It's just a weird drawing. You know, it's not that it's bad art. The artwork is by um, uh, Eric Shanower, 
And of course, it's uh, the entries by Scott Beatty. It basically just tells uh, what's going on with Terry, that he's come out to his parents and they're not too pleased with it. But he's uh, found some friends at uh, at the New York uh, Center uh, for Gay Teens. So it's just basically telling, you know, it's another who's who entry about, you know, the characters in the Green Lantern book. Mm-hmm. One thing I did notice on this profile is that it doesn't mention his homosexuality until about halfway into the profile. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, you, you've talked about how uh, that isn't – he's not a gay character. He's a character who's gay. Yes. So, it, again, I think that's reinforced with this profile. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I've liked about the character of Terry. His homosexuality isn't the thing that's the focus of the character. Right. He's a character first. His homosexuality is second. It's part of him, but it's not the defining part of him. And that's what I've liked that uh, – that's what I've liked about how he's been written. Uh, the next one is an, is a profile for the Circle of Fire Green Lanterns. This one was by, again, by Scott Beatty with art by Robert Ternashi and Jose Marzan Jr. And the uh, Circle of Fire aliens, or Circle of Fire Green Lanterns, were, well, the, they were pretty much Kyle's imagination. <laughs> yeah. This one's kind of an odd inclusion, because if you read the Circle of Fire storyline, then you know who they are. But if you didn't, they never show up again, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, the only one who really has any significant importance is the Green Lantern who was Alex, mm-hmm. and her only significance was that, no, oh, about 150 issues ago, or about a, you know 75 issues ago, she was killed off. Right. So, and yeah. apparently it's bad that Kyle's still sad about that. Yeah. Well, and, and Jenny will remind him about that as, right. as often as possible. Uh, moving on. This one was the one... Which was this next entry was the one that I, which was why I had to include the last will and testament of Hal Jordan in mm. the previous episode. This Dark Lantern, I saw him show up in this, and I was like, "What the heck is this? Who is this guy?" And this one is uh, again written by Scott Beatty with art by Brent Anderson and Bill Sienkiewicz, which is nice because Anderson and Sienkiewicz did the art in the uh, last will and testament of Hal Jordan story. But essentially, this is a dark lantern with a bunch of runes and everything on him. And it's, it's very late 90s. Mm-hmm. And since, you know, this is going to be coming out after I already did that episode, do you want to be spoiled as who the dark lantern actually is? Yeah, go ahead. It's Kilowog. What? Yep. No. It is. In the, at the end of the uh, story, um, Last Will and Testament, we find out that this Dark Lantern who was hunting down Tom Pieface Kalmaku and little Martin Jordan, who just looks like a shrunken head of Hal Jordan put on a kid's body, is actually the dead soul of Kilowog come to try and enact vengeance on them. But it's okay, because at the end of the story, uh, they rebuild Oa and uh, Kilowog comes back. Even though he doesn't, I have so many questions. Don't, don't, don't think about it. It's it's best not to. Who was the mother of this child? Never said. And this this story is in continuity. I don't know because supposedly <laughs> supposedly in in the last will and testament of Hal Jordan, Oa returns that uh, Martin Jordan, the little kid, brings back Oa, but. As far as I know, I think Kyle brings back Oa, maybe in issue 150. Again, like I said, uh, this is only what I've heard, so I don't know. But this is this is obviously in Green Lantern Secret Files and Origins, so the Dark Lantern is in continuity, but the bringing back of Oa might not be in continuity. It's all kinds of wonky. I have... I'm speechless at this point. I don't know what to say. Just just try and forget about it. If if you ever get the opportunity to read Last Will and Testament of Green... I will read something else. Yes, I'd like you to forget about it as well. <laughs> and the final entry in the book is uh, one on Jon Stewart, which is 
Okay. Art by Eduardo Rizzo. It's not that great art, but it's a little, you know, it's a really short synopsis for Jon Stewart, who is a character who I think would have, I I, I think someone would be able to do a bit more with uh, talking about the character. I mean, it's, I, I I see his inclusion in here because finally he's now no longer Green Lantern. He's had the moment of, him losing his ability to walk and then regaining it and all this, but I've, I'm certain this is probably setting up for what comes later in the uh, story where John actually becomes Green Lantern once again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, John Stewart's one of those characters that's really been jerked around through the years. Yeah, that's that's the unfortunate thing is John's a, an incredibly interesting character that everyone just seems to take and do whatever they want to do with whenever they write the character. Yeah. Uh, you know, unlike Hal and Guy and even Kyle, who have specific storylines that uh, carry through different iterations and different writers, John's the kind of one who seems to be the most malleable and doesn't really have a defined history or storyline other than, oh, I blew up uh, Zanchi. Right. So. Well, even the depiction of the character. I mean, he was he was an angry black man stereotype, and then he was a Green Lantern, and then a dark star and then he was in a wheelchair and then he was a green lantern again. And yeah, you know, it, they've, they've taken the character to do so many things. They just, they've never seemed to settle on what his character is. And I don't think aside for like, you know, Denny O'Neill, they've really given him any definition to be certain. So maybe Gerard Jones in the mosaic run as well, but hmm. But yeah, that's the that's the end of that book. Um, over and done with. Not that you know. Are are you excited? Are you going to go out and look for the uh, last will and testament of uh, Hal Jordan? Because that's a story I would recommend that you read. I think I will not. That's good. That is exactly although I will the right probably idea. have to read it at some point because I'm a completionist and you know just, a comics just, nerd. So. Just realize if you can pick it up for incredibly cheap, like someone pays you to take it. That would probably be the best way to get it. I do like cheap comics. Mm. Well, Michael, it's been great having you on. I love getting Thank to talk to you. Thank you for having you. me. Um, while, we're, while we're finishing up, why don't we go ahead and have you uh, talk about what you're doing on the Internet and where people can find you. All right. Well, I, I do two podcasts. The first is Superman and Batman, which episodes have been a little more uh, – sporadic lately but I'm, I'm hoping to get that back on track pretty soon and you can find that at greatcrypton.com and then with sean here we host parallel lines a dc comics tangent universe podcast where we are looking at the tangent universe books that came out from dc in the uh the late 90s and then pretty soon we're going to be moving on to um, a mini series called superman's reign which came out Around 2006, I think. Um, yeah, I want to say 2006, 2007. Somewhere in there, which which was which was a more recent uh, use of the characters. So, and you and, can also find that at greatcrypton.com. And plus, you know, the tangent characters are going to be coming back in the uh, Convergence storyline. Yes, I'm looking forward to see what's going to be happening with them. The you know Convergence looks to be, I don't know what Convergence necessarily is going to be. But it's looking interesting, regardless of what comes out of it, whether it's just a sort of one-off thing or whether it's going to have any major changes in the uh, DC universe. Well, there are rumblings and rumors that it will, but who knows what will actually happen. Regardless, so long as we get some good stories, I think that's all we can ask for it. Yes. But, Michael, again, thanks for coming on the show, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We appreciate you downloading the show, and we hope that you'll come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. 
All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander. The opening music for today's show was Chad Kroger and Nickelback with their song, Hero, off the album entitled Hero. Now, if you'd like to find this music, the best place to go get it would be to call up Michael Bradley and see if you could download it from his personal Nickelback collection. But if you don't feel like inconveniencing Michael by making him sort through his numerous, numerous piles of Nickelback songs, you could go to twotruefreaks.com. If you go to 2TrueFreaks.com, in the upper left-hand corner of the website, there's a link to Amazon.com. Click on that link, you'll be directed to Amazon, where you can download any myriad number of Nickelback songs that you love. And all for very, very low prices. Plus, any time you make a purchase through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com, a small amount of your purchase price goes back to the 2TrueFreaks website. So anytime you feel like Michael Bradley and you want to hear some great, great Nickelback lyrics make sure you use the link to Amazon at 2TrueFreaks.com.